0: Hi-ho, this is Jordan, ready to start Season 2 of the Year 2000 Fix podcast. Last time around, you heard my friend Cody and me discuss some of the greatest films of the 21st century, so it only makes sense we do a 180 for this episode and talk about, well, not the worst films of modern day, but films we love because they're so... not good. You can come out now, Johnny. She's gone. In a few minutes, bitch. Our case studies of the So Bad They're Good genre are 2003's The Room and *Birdemic: Shock and Terror from 2010. You'll hear momentarily what the films have in common, why people are big fans of both titles, and how trends of the 21st century made the films' popularity grow, even if the movies aren't going to be preserved in the National Film Registry anytime soon. I'm so glad to be rejoined by my friend Alyssa, who appears to be the expert in these things. She's the reason I even heard about Tommy Wiseau and The Room many years ago, and she was very aware that a film exists where people fight the worst computer-graphic-generated birds with hotel coat hangers. Seriously. She actually came up with a really succinct list of how society gets ourselves a film that is so bad, it's good.
1: I was brainstorming. These are my five things that makes a bad movie so bad it's good. Number one is ineptitude in some aspect. Be that acting, the plot, writing, editing, etc. Number two is unintentional hilarity. It can't be something that's manufactured. Like, for example, Birdemic, they made a sequel, right? And it's not a cult classic because it's too self-aware. People pick up on that and it's not genuine and they don't think it's funny. Three, that question of... Why does this exist, or what were they thinking when you finished watching the movie? Uh, The fourth is that it's better with friends or in a group. And the fifth one is quotability or memorability.
0: We're going to elaborate on all those topics, so unless you need five minutes to pay off Chris R., let's jump to our full conversation, and let me give you your year 2000 fix. (laughs) Welcome back, Alyssa.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: (laughs) If you don't mind, I just want to give a brief plot summary. If people are like, nope, I value my time too much. I do not want to even see these movies, like, just so anyone knows.
1: Oh yeah, we'll try to bring them up to speed.
0: The Room, 2003 film, directed, written, and produced, and starring Tommy Wiseau. The plot is a banker, Johnny played by Tommy Wiseau, is engaged to his fiancée, or let me correct myself, his future wife, (laughs) Lisa, whom he lives with in his San Francisco apartment. And unbeknownst to Johnny, Lisa is having an affair with his best friend, Mark. Throughout the film, Johnny manages his conflicting relationships with Lisa, Mark, Lisa's mother, Claudette, The orphan boy, Denny, he looks after. And his other friends, which would include Mike and Michelle, that's the other character.
1: And I think there's Peter, right? Peter's a psychiatrist.
0: Peter, who kind of fades out in the film.
1: (laughs) For reasons unknown.
0: And you're supposed to revel in this story that is full of love, heartbreak, betrayal, where the question is raised... Can you ever really trust anyone? I mean, that pretty much describes what you see on film, right?
1: Yeah, I would say that's a fair fair synopsis.
0: And our next movie that we're also going to be studying in this so-bad-it's-good genre is Birdemic Shock and Terror, released in 2010, directed, written, and produced by James Nguyen. The plot, if you can really call it one, is that it's about the romantic vacation of software salesman Rod and fashion model Natalie, who have their vacation completely ruined when acid-spitting, self-exploding eagles and vultures attack the community. Rod and Natalie fend for survival as they meet new faces along the way and try to discover the cause of this avian catastrophe. Alright, let's also get our backs to each other. That way we can see the birds coming from every direction. These movies were not the very first So Bad It's Good movies. Before the 21st century, there have always been what were called B-movies. There were Midnight movies, and the type of movies by filmmaker Ed Wood, who had, like, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which for the longest time was commonly known as the worst movie ever made. And the result of these films is they're unintentionally hilarious because they have goofy titles, they have obviously low budgets, the filmmaking is terrible, there's sloppy mistakes everywhere, noticeable mishaps, and Vox.com, they cite this concept as paracinema, meaning that these films are outside the norms. They're Akin to, like, horror movies, government films, trash film, low-budget, amateurishly produced films. But they find from studies that, you know what? People who like these movies, they tend to have higher intelligence. Really? Really? I think that's kind of questionable, but I think there's something to be said of like, maybe it's because you know so much about what makes a good story, what makes a quality experience that you see this and it's like, I'm seeing like the puppet master, I'm seeing the machine behind this. And that's something that kind of takes like some smarts.
1: You have to have like an analytical mind, I guess, (laughs) to really think about all of the things that are working against the film and how that makes it funny unintentionally.
0: Before I had ever seen The Room, *Burdemic*, I think the closest So Bad It's Good movie I had really seen was probably the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I've only seen as a live production where they screen the movie, you have actors miming the scenes, they like sing the songs, and people scream and throw stuff.
1: It's called shadow casting when you have a live production in front of the film. It's so much fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I should point out, we're speaking to a fellow shadow caster right now, if you want to elaborate.
1: uh, Yeah, so at USF, where we both went to college, they did a shadow cast production of Rocky Horror every single year for Halloween. And I think I was in it three times. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you get a ton of people crammed into a little theater and they're all yelling things at the screen. You know, when there's a line in the movie, they have a corresponding line to yell back at the screen. Um, You play games while you're watching the movie. It's a lot of fun. It's like an experience really.
0: And so that kind of goes to mocking bad movies as a profession or as a hobby or as like some form of movie going experience. It has existed for a little while because people were going at midnight seeing a movie like Rocky Horror. There was also, from 1988 to 1999, Mystery Science Theater 3000, which, in case people haven't heard of it. It's like that show where you see silhouettes of these fictional characters watching a really bad movie or like an old film reel B-movie and they make these sarcastic lines at each ridiculous moment. seems like something like the stoner college kids were watching back in the mid-90s or something.
1: You should go back and watch it again. I bet you'd love it.
0: I think this would lead us to discuss, well, what makes The Room in Birdemic this type of movie? What makes it so bad it's good?
1: Well, I think it is really interesting when you hear a lot of the background on both of these directors, how originally they approached their work with a lot of seriousness, and they expected these movies to be these great, beloved household names, and then had to kind of do a quick 180 after they came out and got all of these horrible reviews where they changed their marketing to, no, no, this was always a comedy. This was meant to be a dark comedy.
0: Tommy Wiseau and James Nguyen, they both intended for their films to be artistic classics akin to the films they were influenced by. Tommy Wiseau, he loved Rebel Without a Cause. He loved talented Mr. Ripley.
1: I mean, the man has good taste. It's a good movie.
0: James Nguyen, he loved The Birds, the Alfred Hitchcock type of movies. He was very touched by An Inconvenient Truth and wanted to spread an environmental message. I think we both agree, though, that the resulting works they put out there did not achieve their intended goals.
1: I would agree with you there.
0: So my brother and I, we always marvel at the difference between a movie like The Room and, say, an Adam Sandler-produced film, like Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. And my brother, who was forced to watch it, explained, It's boring. You're gonna be grossed out and appalled for the first five minutes And I think that's such a different experience to say when you're watching The Room and whatever you perceive as bad, it's kind of more sprinkled in and you're excited to see what happens next.
1: Well, and it's kind of like a train wreck, you know? These horrible scenes just keep coming one on top of another and you can't look away.
0: I saw one critic who kind of corroborated what my thought was, which is, you know, The Room, it doesn't have much in common with a quality movie, but it still has good lighting to an extent it's shot on actual film it's starring people they had something of a budget and they wouldn't have had to spend so many millions if tommy wiseau didn't make so many impractical decisions and fire his crew two separate times but still like it's there and i think the thing that really sells it is the score
1: A unique, so bad it's good movie, in that most of those movies within that genre they don't look like a movie you would see in a regular cinema. But the room, the editing is passable, the camera work is okay, and the score, like you said, sounds like a real movie score. So, in those ways, it almost is a real movie, <laughs> but it fails in so many other ways.
0: Yeah, no, Sin cannot be said for birdemic but it's almost like the opposite, where like You know what? It looks so much unlike a movie with its CG birds.
1: And the audio? The audio sounds like it was made in a microwave. It's so bad, but it's so funny.
0: Yes, but that alone is like, like you say, it's not what you see in a movie theater, so that makes you scratch your head a bit. They killed Becky. What if it was Natalie?
1: It sounds so lame when you just explain it like that. Like, why would anyone ever want to watch it? But there's so much hilarity.
0: Tommy Wiseau, James Nguyen, both pretty interesting characters. Most of what you hear about Tommy Wiseau and the making of The Room, you can find in the book The Disaster Artist. Really recommend just going to the book and not the James Franco-directed movie.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I had a lot of high hopes for the movie, but unfortunately because of how... Tommy Wiseau was involved in its production, a lot of the kind of darker, more interesting sections of the book that talk about Tommy Wiseau's psyche aren't in the movie. It's a very watered down version of the book.
0: Yeah, the movie touches on the basics, which is that Tommy Wiseau met Greg Sestero in an acting class. They had lived together in Los Angeles to pursue dreams of being stars. When they decided to make The Room after Tommy had wrote a whole script, Tommy opted to buy his expensive equipment, shoot the film in both 35mm and HD, In sequential order, in the most impractical manner, and that it took him forever to learn his lines, and it took three hours for him to say the very ridiculous dialogue of, I did not hit her, I did not, and the scene that follows...
1: And yeah, the movie generally covers all of that. It's more of the behind the scenes that Greg Sestero writes about, about how Tommy is a truly flawed and sometimes very mean person, like a very um, unpleasant person to be around. That was all cut from the movie. He's portrayed as more of like a eccentric but ultimately loving person.
0: Yeah, they show a little bit, but I think it's too shallow. Cause I didn't think it was terrible. I even have a copy, but I just thought like, yeah, I don't like that. It's like self-aware like where the people in the movie are saying what fans have always said about like the breast cancer scene never comes up again. Or how does the woman at the flower shop not know it's Tommy and it's supposed to be wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And Mm -hmm. it gets annoying. Yeah,
1: it's sort of like they kind of sugarcoated it because when you look back at some of the actual testimony from people who were in the film, you hear a lot about how Tommy was a very difficult person to work with. He fired a lot of the staff constantly and um, did a lot of things that Are very questionable looking back, like not providing food or water to the people who were working for him or shooting in very, very hot conditions where one of the actresses actually had a heat stroke and had to be taken to the hospital.
0: Yeah, and even if like someone wants to counter, it's like, well, they do show that in the movie. It's like, yeah, but if you read the book, you, you get a much different perspective. And it's even funnier reading all the information, including that, like, the birthday party scene, the extras, everyone working on it, had pretty much given up, like, trying to reason with Tommy. And that scene where he goes, like, SHUT UP! SHUT UP! That's not acting, that's him actually losing it at the crew, which gives you a sense of, like, what was really going on. hmm
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear how so many of the people who were originally working on that movie tried so hard for so much of the production to try and make it a good one, and ultimately at the end had to just give up and let Tommy do whatever he wanted. Because if they didn't, shooting the movie would have just never ended.
0: Other things we still don't know is, like, where did the money come from?
1: Oh, for the movie. Yeah, (laughs) I mean,
0: we wonder how old he is, but he was probably, like, close to 50 when he was doing The Room.
1: Yeah, no one knows his age. No one knows how exactly he got to the U.S. or what he was doing to make all that money. He's a very interesting character.
0: This movie is so bad it's good because it has funny scenes that were supposed to be taken seriously, and it's made by this guy who, like, we don't know anything about him, and he's managed to fool us all with, like, how this, movie was funded and how old he is. I, I mean, the Rift Tracks guys, they're like, okay, the hilarious part is his name is Johnny because he's good old American Johnny, but <laughs> one word out of his mouth, it's gonna break that illusion.
1: Well, I guess the true irony is that Tommy so as a person is a far more interesting character than any character he wrote and put in his own
0: film. Audience, I hear you guys laugh. You know what I'm laughing too. And same is definitely said for James Nguyen. In
1: Birdemic 1, Rod and Natalie meet, they fall in love, but behind all that romance, the first half of the film, there is the for foreboding that all's not well, that all's not what it seemed to be. And halfway through the movie, the movie unfolds itself, and all hell's broke blue. Birds attack, and, and the movie becomes a thriller, romantic thriller.
0: James Nguyen, who was a 43 year old Vietnamese refugee, who spent four years and $10,000 of his own money making a 90-minute movie, has the same kind of narcissistic personality that made this what is called like lightning in a bottle. What is it about the Bay Area that influences so bad it's good movies? Because The Room takes place in San Francisco, and James Nguyen was a Silicon Valley tech sales guy, and he grew up in San Mateo, and it was while he's at the beach in San Gregorio that he sees a flock of seagulls flying, by his car and he's like this is like the birds and like i like that movie an inconvenient truth so what if i put two and two together
1: the ultimate mashup
0: yeah and he's like i want to make an alfred hitchcock film not a chick flick and i want to send a message (laughs) about climate change and okay if you see the making of For this movie, this is what corroborates my point that the making of is better than the movie in some sense. He edited the movie on a basic Dell PC that my parents probably owned in 2003. (laughs) Wow. And the editing process, how they move the clips, is just as funny as what you see in the movie he had to do it on weekends doing the filming and editing over the course of six months and he had to find the right people to work with him and the actors who play the main characters Natalie and Rod their names respectively are Whitney Moore and Alan Bogg they commit to the project after being found on an online casting site they didn't know what the film was going to look like they thought okay but the CG is going to be great and uh, Whitney Moore said the fact that her audition was in a high school parking lot and that she got a role an hour later should have been a red flag And they both returned for the sequel Even though they both didn't really enjoy working with the director Yeah Have you seen the movie's IMDb trivia? Because that has some pretty good anecdotes
1: No, you know, I don't know as much about Like the making of Birdemic As much as I do from The Room
0: Well, these are a few things we know Which is that James DeWynn allegedly added fake credits To make the movie look more professional Because most of it was just him
1: Oh. <laughs> Bless his heart.
0: Yeah, he made actors wear bikinis for makeout scenes because he didn't want any of the couples to actually have sex. The craft services reportedly came from 7-Eleven, which that's a new one for me. (laughs) The coat hanger weapons were a last minute decision, a good one apparently, and they had to steal a lot of shots. He would yell at people whenever they would crowd filming and Whitney Moore would tell him please stop and then that made James Nguyen angrier and he had her co-star like act as an intermediary for direction. And on the FAQ on IMDb, the only question asked is why does this movie exist? And a different user's answer is, the movie exists as a practical joke. Don't take life so seriously or you'll make the Eagles mad. (laughs) What that leaves us to explain is, okay, you get a movie that anyone who sees it, they're gonna laugh and think it's bad. They're gonna quote some of the funny lines, they're not gonna take it seriously. But how do you get it to be capitalized correctly? And the answers for the room and birdemic, they're both pretty interesting. For The Room, nowadays, people are pretty aware that, like, okay, Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero, they make a pretty good buck off, like, the merchandise, the film rights, going to public appearances, meeting fans. But the thing is, when it was initially released in 2003, The Room was a flop. It only made $1,800, which is not a return on a $6 million investment. But Vulture, the website, suggests that unending series of bizarre moments were, quote, perfect for the dawn of the internet's GIF and YouTube culture. That would lead to word of mouth getting people excited. And we know from the Disaster Artist that Tommy, in order to get this to continue, he had almost like a tourist attraction where he spends $5,000 a month on a big billboard on Highland Avenue in Los Angeles to advertise the movie. And he hires a publicist, Edward Lozzi, who was able to say, "Hey, this movie, The Room. This is the Rocky Horror Pictures Show, too, that you were waiting for. But the funny thing is Lozzi, he saw the premiere of the movie. He was told, "Okay, you need to promote this movie. We're not actually going to show it to you." And then he's horrified when his friends and clients see the movie with him for the first time.
1: He's been talking it up the whole time like it's some amazing movie. Yeah, and then
0: season yeah and, and, but he got help from Karen Kramer, who is the wife of Stanley Kramer. And she's like, this is how you rehabilitate the film. You scrap the plans of calling this movie... Tennessee Williams Passion Project and go more on this Midnight Movie angle. And the real person we have to thank is the five second film founder who directed Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. He's also a screenwriter. You can find him on the internet. His name's Michael Rousselet. He was 20 years old when he saw the film's trailer. Goes to a screening where no refunds were allowed at this point. The cinema staff has to repeatedly warn patrons of this, almost as if they knew they would face a riot from normal moviegoers. In the course of a week, he, like, calls his friends. He demands they see it with them multiple times. He brings 100 people to the theater. They create fake accounts on IMDb to write positive reviews. Tommy Wiseau, he actually is like, okay, yeah, he actually did start it all. But Rousselet adds that Tommy Wiseau made him buy his own DVD. That
1: is so Tommy Wiseau, though.
0: (laughs) So it was a wise, calculated investment met with, like, oh, this guy happens to see it and is like, this is great. Everyone else needs to see it, and I'm sure what really cemented its status was other comedians and celebrities also becoming fans of the movie.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think as its popularity grew and you were able to access it in more places, it just created an even larger cult following.
0: Birdemic: story to success is also pretty fascinating. The film was submitted to the Sundance Film Festival. So if you want to just take a wild guess, do you think this film made the standards of the Sundance Film Festival?
1: Um, I'm gonna go with no.
0: So you would be right there. Now, most filmmakers, they'd be dejected, maybe they'd fix the film, maybe they'd submit it to other film festivals. James Nguyen had some balls though. He goes to Park City, Utah, parks a car outside the theaters that are screening Sundance movies, and he covers his car with screeching fake birds and theater blood. And on the car is a banner that says biddemic.com, cause he couldn't spell his own movie correctly.
1: You know, it does make me question though, if he had those fake birds to put on his car, why didn't he just use those in the movie?
0: uh maybe you couldn't make them flap correctly <laughs> i mean but like choppy cgi animation on the other hand
1: Mmm, chef's kiss.
0: Ah. Yeah, and so he got the attention of this guy, Evan Husney, who was at the time working for Severin Films. He's now, I think, a journalist at Vice, which is how I saw this whole video explaining the story. We'll link to it in the show notes. Evan Husney convinces its company, Severin, you gotta distribute this movie that he sees after being drawn in by the promotion, seeing the movie and going, oh my god, this is amazing. And he's like, this is gonna be a movie worth screening to people, even if it's just 100 people. and the company eventually makes an offer to James DeWynn and the film spreads like wildfire in 2010 it gets New York Times press coverage there's multiple film critics who see it I saw it on The Soup. It was parodied by Joel McHale. Like, people want to know, why would someone make this movie? And the hilarious part is that as people want to meet with this guy, James DeWin, who's like, hey, this movie might not be Citizen Kane, but people want to see it. He gets a meeting with Paramount, and he prematurely announces to everyone, we're making a sequel. He thinks Paramount was going to fund the movie. What do you think happened?
1: You know, sometimes you really are your own worst enemy.
0: (laughs) I think you and anyone listening might follow James Nguyen kind of
1: shot himself Yeah, in the maybe point. a
0: nicer way of saying Paramount decided to pass on doing a sequel. What?
1: I'm shocked.
0: So this is the problem, is he gets a meeting with ICM. You know ICM, they're one of the biggest talent agencies in the world. This agent, he met with James Nguyen. This was documented, and he's like, I like Birdemic, but it's pretty clear. He's like, I don't really see you having much long-term success with this joke movie. For all the sleaziness talent agents are accused of, I think he has a pretty good point of like, you know, maybe instead of going into Birdemic sequels, you should just make a short film instead. Get some actual filmmaking experience now that you have the credibility of having a hit on your hands but James Nguyen said like I don't want to be a sellout become an acclaimed filmmaker which reading that sentence it's kind of weird like wait he thought he was going to be a sellout by making a good movie
1: Yeah, wasn't that sort of the goal to begin with when he was making the first movie?
0: He apparently wasn't selling out when he decided to make another Birdemic movie, which the guy, Evan Husney from Severin Films, who was covering this whole story for Vice, he admits, I might be responsible for pigeonholing this guy as a joke director. The comedians, Tim and Eric, they host an LA premiere of Birdemic. Birdemic gets more attention. James DeWin feels like Tommy Wiseau when it comes to people laughing at his movie, which like, hey, you feel how? you want to feel like this is my movie so good for him there there was a screening of this movie that we totally should have seen i don't think we were in college yet or else maybe we would have in half moon bay i think around 2011 2012 james de screened the movie with a q a he signed autographs and damian carter performed his signature song just hanging out
1: oh my gosh we missed it
0: that would have been pretty fun if we saw that
1: that's okay. We can hire him once the pandemic's over. We'll, it's okay. We'll make our own.
0: Right. For your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> to your future husband.
1: Oh, yes. The big mama's in the kitchen. And everybody's wishing that she's fixing their favorite dish. And just hanging out, hanging out. Birdemic
0: 2 then? So, yeah, that's a nice segue into what I was going to say. I saw bits and pieces of Birdemic 2 because what became clear is once Tommy Wiseau knew that, okay, people love The Room and James Nguyen knows people love Birdemic, there's this thought of like, okay, how do we make more of this? Demic to the resurrection. I think, like, this time it takes place in L.A. It was funded by a private investor for a million dollars, so it looks a little better. A little. The La Brea Tar Pits, I think, are used as a location. I, I just thought, like, it wasn't fun. It's just cynical.
1: I mean... You know, it kind of goes back to that quote that you said earlier about lightning in a bottle. You know, you can't just reproduce lightning in a bottle or else it wouldn't be called lightning in a bottle because lightning only strikes once. You can't reproduce that level of incompetence and hilarity when it was previously unintentional.
0: Yeah, and Tommy Wiseau, he didn't make like The Room 2, but-
1: That would have been hard considering Johnny was dead.
0: Yeah, no, that would be pretty hard considering that he kills himself at the end, but...
1: The Room 2, Resurrection.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's what it would have been called. But um, (laughs) what we did get was Greg Sestero, who, upon seeing a rough cut of the Disaster Artist movie, he's like, I want to make another movie for me and Tommy Wiseau. So they make Best Friends, Part 1 and 2... And it's because I went to the L.A. premiere of both movies at the Egyptian theater that I had the pleasure of meeting both Tommy and Greg.
1: Oh, that's so cool.
0: And when I saw the movies, I feared it would be a cynical ploy where it's like, okay, they know what people think of the room. It's not going to be funny because it's going to be intentionally bad. I don't know what to say. The movies aren't good by any means, but I could tell there was a genuine effort to make something resembling a film. I had fun seeing it. And the humor comes in like the terrible Photoshop newspaper typeface and the fake Rolling Stones tickets and the fact that the dead bodies blink.
1: Did they just star in that one or did Tommy Wiseau also write and direct it?
0: So Tommy actually didn't do anything behind the scenes. It was Greg Sestero who wrote it.
1: Oh, okay. You know, I think in his heart of hearts, I think that Tommy believes that The Room is a good movie that's misunderstood.
0: Yes, but you know what he says is, look, you can think whatever you want about The Room. If you laugh, you laugh. Like, that's cool.
1: I guess when you create something like The Room or Burdemic, you really do have two choices. Either you're absolutely devastated that your vision is not being recognized by other people, or you lean into it. And I think both of the directors leaned into it.
0: Yeah, he wasn't embarrassed, and, like, when he's told by his publicist, we're gonna make this a midnight movie and kind of emphasize its corniness and the stuff that isn't so great, he didn't have a problem with it. And, I mean, I think his bank account is better off for it.
1: Mm -hmm. And now we get to enjoy this movie as a piece of cult media.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is the last component I think makes the bad movie so good is there's a community around it.
1: Like I said, better with friends.
0: Yeah, things are better with friends. And like the internet and modern trends made this easier by like you can go online, you can share your favorite lines, you can meet people who have the same loves as you do. And going to the Best Friends premiere, that was like great being surrounded by a bunch of room fans. And I was just so shocked that I knew I was going to see Tommy and Greg at the Q&A, but then just going to the bathroom, it's like, whoa, they're right there and they're happy to just shake hands, take pictures, and get autographs from people.
1: What'd you have him sign? A football?
0: Okay, so I had previously bought a copy, a DVD copy of The Room and a Blu-ray of The Disaster Artist for them to sign. And first what happens is I just see Greg Sestero standing out there outside the theater. I'm like, Greg, I'm from the Bay Area. And he kind of looks at me strange and I was like, oh no, what have I done? But then he smiles and goes, where in the Bay are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Marin County, but I have family in the East Bay where I knew he was from. And he sees me carrying the stuff and he's like, do you want me to sign that? I'm like, yes, please. And then I bought a copy of The Disaster Artist, the book for him to sign. And when I got in line to take a picture with Tommy Wiseau, I had him sign all that stuff. And I even convinced Greg. It's like, hey, Greg, can you come over? Can I get a picture with you too? He was nice to do that. But when I had Tommy sign the book, I was like, you know, I'm working in the entertainment industry right now. At the time, I was working in my first paid job, which was at MGM Studios. And I said to him, like, you know, my mom, she loves your stuff too, but she can be a little skeptical of what I'm doing and it can be so hard to make it in entertainment. What do you have to say? And, well, first I had to spell everyone's name. I'm like, can you sign it to Jordan, Dylan, and Leslie? And then I'm like, that's L E. S and he's like writing that aloud, and then his message to all of us was be good to each other which I thought was so heartfelt like I think he really oh, meant that
1: that's really sweet it's so amazing because they could be such bitter angry people that their dreams like Tommy Wiseau's dream of producing a movie that's renowned critically and Greg's dream of being this like major actor like clearly you know those are very different things than what ultimately happened to them. And you could be such a bitter, horrible person for not getting what you wanted. And they took what happened and turned it around into something good.
0: I know, because like reading the Disaster Artist book, I realized like, oh, Greg Sesteri spent his whole childhood wanting to be a movie star. I know Tommy wanted the same. And like, they're such good sports for realizing like... Okay, it didn't work out the way we wanted, but people are still happy around us. Doesn't that mean something? They were probably there for hours just to meet every fan's demand and, like, sign stuff and take pictures with them.
1: Next time there's a premiere, I gotta go. I'm, like, sitting here kicking myself for not going. Because, you know, I live in LA too. I could have gone.
0: Yeah, and you know, I hate to be that guy, but I'm pretty sure I let you know. But I, I mean, you're a nerd. I know.
1: So. I know you did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've like said, hey, you and Ian, I know you're fans. You want to come? <laughs>
1: Next time, we're going to go. Yeah, we're no going to tell feelings, them we made though. a podcast about them, but not to yeah. listen
0: to it. Yeah, and you know, um, about this community, Evan Husney, the guy who is the director of marketing and public relations at Severin Film, said of Birdemic, when talking about the fans who see that movie and bring their own coat hangers, and have been just as excited to meet the director and the cast of that movie, he says, mm-hmm. sure, the film is readily available for anybody to download on the internet illegally, cough, But there are still people who want to go out there and have the experience of seeing the film with a crowded audience.
1: There's something so much more fun about consuming this type of media with either friends or groups of people that love it because it's just a huge community bonding experience at that point.
0: What I think is unique to the 21st century is there's more of not just a community, but like, okay, wait, there's actually a market for people who watch bad movies and review them that wasn't limited just to Mystery Science Theater 3000. I mean... Those guys spun off and made riff tracks where they make their own commentary tracks you sing to movies. But then you have, like, Paul shear He was actually the guy running the Q&A at the Best Friends premiere. He hosts How Did This Get Made, which is a podcast analyzing shockingly bad movies. And he says the appeal of bad movies is there's the type of movie we don't really like, which is being bad for bad sake, because I feel that's cheating. But when you look at Birdemic or The Room, they cared.
1: They cared so much. They put so much effort into something that they really, truly believed was good. And it fails in every single way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and people really enjoy, like, the people who study this, they, like, there's the humor of it being incredulously awful. There's the sense of superiority we feel like, hey, I could have done a better job, and social media and YouTube really, like, makes that clear. But then it's also, like, you love seeing a person's earnest vision go a complete 180 and be understood as something, but not as anything they intended.
1: No, I think that's a really good
0: statement. Yeah, and hey, there's something to be said about seeing a movie with a laughing crowd.
1: Yeah, no, it makes everything ten times funnier.
0: I think just as a conclusion, I like to think about what would the next type of so bad it's good movie look like? I mean, a movie that was so bad it's good it reaches the level of Birdemic or The Room. Because those movies, they had the weird director backstories, the weird production difficulties... The thing you've never seen on screen before, the room with, like, people speaking alien dialogue and Birdemic, like, how could a person think anyone would be swayed by cartoon flapping birds? Like, how can someone really match that without it looking like it's a cynical, intentionally bad film?
1: It's a tough question. I mean, it'll come from a place that's unexpected and that wasn't attempting to manufacture any of the things that make the room or Burdemic what they are. I just keep going back to that phrase of lightning in a bottle because it's something completely unintentional that can only be done once.
0: The closest I think we came to a follow-up was late 2019. I remember where I was when the review embargo was lifted off of Cats. The movie adaptation of the musical and people being like you thought the trailer was unsettling
1: <laughs> oh my gosh i i actually haven't seen it i've like watched some reviews on it but i think it has the potential to be the next the room or brudemic
0: yeah i noticed the theater i'm blanking on it but it's right on santa monica boulevard i used to live near there They do Rocky Horror Picture shows every month, every midnight. I mean, of course, back when people could go and see movies but I think they were just about to start doing the same thing for Cats. And I think that's where we were headed.
1: I'm not surprised. I mean, I've seen some compilations of it. It definitely has quotability. It is shockingly bad. You question, why was this made? Why does this exist? It fits all the criteria for a so bad it's good movie. I think it has serious potential.
0: It's just too bad. I'm so creeped out by the actors and the look of the film that I could sit down to watch it without wanting to gag.
1: Yeah, you know, and I guess like this topic kind of brings up the sad reality we're in right now where it is harder to have a cult following for a movie because you can't gather and watch things together anymore. We put on Rocky Horror for Halloween this year and we were watching it, you know, Ian and me, and it was like something was missing and it was the shadow cast or the experience of going and watching it in a crowded place.
0: Oh yeah, and the audience members wearing costumes and screaming funny lines.
1: I was yelling some of the lines and Ian was too, but it's just not the same. It's really hard to recreate that experience at home. I hope that one day when things get back to normal, that we can go back to that. <laughs> I want my movies, damn it.
0: <laughs> no, we want things to go back to normal. Not just so people will stop dying, but so we can get back to our love of using our 21st century era snark and sarcasm irony to stick it to hilariously perceived as awful films. And may that day come upon us soon. I've fed up with this world. Thank you so much to Alyssa for giving her time to talk about The Room in Birdemic. She is such a good friend. And we will be back very soon with some more podcasts. Feel free to leave me a note on my Anchor profile, and I look forward to giving you your next year 2000 fix. Happy 2021.